This morning we're going to consider desire the sincere milk of the word. Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through to 3. Give you a few give you a few seconds to find that towards the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. look at those verses right now. Verse 1. Wherefore, or therefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In the first epistle of Peter, the apostle developed his thoughts right from the beginning. As such, the greatest benefit will be derived if you don't parachute into various verses in this letter, but if you start from the beginning. If you start from the beginning of it, and you read from chapter 1, verse 1, instead of just going to your favourite little verses in, in the letter. Peter began by introducing himself to the elect of God, those who were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Then in verse 3, he spoke to them about being begotten unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's precisely because all true Christians are begotten unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that they are able to echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul, who said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I, Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and who gave himself for me. Wonderful words from Paul. And he was able to say those words because he was someone who was begotten or born again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's you as well, if you are trusting in Jesus. Peter then continued his letter with various exhortations and encouragements to all who are begotten unto that lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It all comes back to that again, being begotten unto a lively hope in Jesus Christ. It's worth reminding you very briefly of those exhortations. You are to be holy because God who begat you is holy. We see that in verse 16 of chapter 1. Since you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, you are to live your born-again life with a reverential fear of God. We see that in verse 17. That's really interesting. You are to fear God, and it is because of what Jesus has done on the cross. When you think about the cross, the sinless Son of God being lifted up to die, bearing away your sins, 
that should produce in you a very healthy and godly fear. You are to love the brethren. We see that in verse 22. Last of all, in chapter 1, verse 23, Peter said that we are born again by the word of God which liveth and bideth forever. Keeping that thought in your mind that Christians are born again by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever, we now come to chapter 2 and verse 1, where it is written, Wherefore, or therefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. You can see that it follows on. The fact that it starts with wherefore, what preceded it, is relevant to it. It's because you are born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It's because of that that you lay aside all those vices that are spoken of in verse 1. Dear Christian, you are to lay aside all that is inconsistent with being born again, being holy, fearing God and loving the brethren. All the evils that you are to rid yourself of that are mentioned in verse 1, they are all sins against each other. If you like, we're looking at the second table of the law, the commandments which which are concerned with our duty to one another. Lay aside, get rid of all of those sins in verse 1, if you are born again by the word of God. The, The first sin that is mentioned is malice or ill will towards others. When you remember that all born again Christians are members of the same body, I trust you can see that there is no place for ill will in that one body of which Jesus, who redeemed every born-again Christian with his own precious blood, is the head of that body. Uh, It's a finely tuned engine, the body of Christ. He is the head of that body. There should be no malice, no ill will in the body of Christ. Also in the list is all guile and hypocrisies and envies. You see that in verse 1. The guile refers to falsehood, lies and deceit, which is all about misleading other people instead of, instead of simply being honest and open with them. That shouldn't be the Christian, should it? We need to be upfront with people instead of hiding behind lies all the time. The hypocrisies refer to putting on an act and pretending to be what you are not. The Pharisees were hypocrites in that they appeared to others to be morally upright when the reality was that they were self-righteous, wicked men. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ described the Pharisees as, as whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside but inside full of dead men's bones. That was the Pharisees. Hypocrites. As for envies in verse 1, that refers to being jealous of the prosperity and the advantages of others instead of being content with whatever God has given you. Last of all, on the list of sins against one another in verse 1 is 
evil speakings or backbiting. I guess that biting someone's back is not as bad as sticking a knife in it, but it is nevertheless painful to be on the receiving end of defamatory and slanderous words. It is very unbecoming of Christians and dishonouring to, uh, to God to engage in evil speakings. This is something that Christians ought not do. My guess is that if you are being honest with yourself, every one of you will have no difficulties relating to the sins of verse 1. Why is that, I wonder? As you sit there being very honest with yourself, why can you relate to those sins? It's because we've all been there. We've all got the badge. We've all done it. Every one of us, to varying degrees. Everyone who is born into this wicked world is guilty of the sins that are mentioned in verse 1. Because this is a world whose God is the devil. It is a world, the world that we live in, spins on an axis of malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies and evil speakings. Those are the things that make this world go round. If you are not born again by the word of God, in other words, if you are not trusting in Jesus as a repentant sinner, then far from laying aside or getting rid of those vices in verse 1, those vices, they define you. They define who you are and what you are. It has been said that the unconverted man, uh, it's been said, incidentally, the man who said it was um, a Bible scholar and preacher of old by the name of Simeon, Charles Simeon. <clears throat> anyway, he said that the unconverted man, though he may appear righteous before men, is in reality full of the most abominable evils. Someone who has not been converted, someone who is not begotten again unto a lively hope in Christ Jesus, who is risen from the dead. He is full of the most abominable evils. He may not indulge in any blatant sins, but he is full of malice towards those who have injured him in any tender point and would feel gratified rather than pained at any evil that should befall that person. <clears throat> His whole conversation with others too is for the most part little better than one continued system of guile and hypocrisy, which are the two chief ingredients of what is called politeness. If a rival surpasses him in anything on which his heart is set and gains the honours which he has yearned for, he will soon find the spirit which is in him lusts to envy. Moreover, in his general conversation, he will find in himself a tendency to speak evil of others if he feels himself more elevated in proportion as the others are being depressed. If he'll say whatever it takes for him to be elevated in the sight of others. I don't know if you think that Simeon there was exaggerating that people aren't really that bad because I don't know how many times I hear it that um, we're not that bad actually. 
and there's good in all of us and, and so on. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. That's not the message of the Bible. And putting it very, very simply, the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't come into this world of sin and and allow wicked men to nail him to the cross and, and he didn't, he wasn't lifted up to die on a cross where he poured out his blood and he died a, a terrible, bloody death on that cross for good people. He laid down his life on the cross for bad people. And blessed are you if you recognise that. Truly, blessed are you if you recognise, well, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless saviour, he laid down his life for bad people. And, and that's me. I'm one of those bad people. And I thank God for his son, Jesus Christ. Coming back to all of you who are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin and as your Lord, you are to lay aside all of those sins. Normally that would be a very tall order. Impossible, in fact. And it reminds me of a story that I used to tell their children when I, in the good old days when I used to do um, school assemblies, when I was allowed into schools on this island. And it goes something like this, the story, as I remember it. A scorpion wanted to cross over a river, but he couldn't. He couldn't swim. He saw a turtle in the river. A turtle in the river. He called out to the turtle, Mr. Turtle, will you give me a lift across the river, please? Can I jump on your back and you take me across the river? And the turtle said to him, you must be kidding if I let you jump on my back, you'll sting me. And the scorpion promised that he would not sting the turtle. I promise you, I won't sting you. If I was, st- if I stung you, you'll die and I'd die. We'd both die. What use is that? I just want to lift across the river, please. And so the turtle gave in and he said, he, he swum to the bank. And he said to the um, scorpion, hop on. And the scorpion jumped on his back. Turtle swimming across the river. And what happens next? He felt a terrible pain. That scorpion broke his promise. And he stung the turtle. And as they were both going down to a watery death, a watery grave, the turtle said, why did you do that? And the scorpion said, I'm a scorpion. That's what scorpions do. They sting. And that was the end of them. That's all the scorpion knew how to do. For all of his promises that he wouldn't sting the turtle, he still did. Ordinarily, exhorting someone to lay aside malice or guile, hypocrisies, envies and evil speakings would be like asking a scorpion not to sting you. Yeah? Yet the Apostle Peter exalted all who are born again by the word of God to rid themselves of those terrible things. And that suggests something very special, something radical about being born again. For Peter to say, lay aside all those vices, something special about born again Christians. The fact of the matter is that being born again is very special. It is radical. 
In, and that is because it is supernatural. It is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, and it results in a person being made a new creature in Christ. To quote the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you are begotten again, you are a new creature in Christ. And that is for that reason, the Apostle Peter was saying, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all those other vices in verse 1. Additionally, all born-again Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We've been, we saw not long ago that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who works in them to will and to do of God's good pleasure. And it is God's good pleasure for his children to lay aside those vices that are mentioned in verse 1. How you treat others is extremely important, dear Christian, because it reflects your relationship or lack of relationship with God. As it is written in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, If any man says, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he have not seen? As such, it would be highly inconsistent for someone who has a testimony of being born again by the word of God to have not laid aside or at the very least reigned in the sins that are mentioned in verse 1. Sins against fellow Christians. When you commit those sins in verse 1, it's not it's it doesn't it's not conducive to loving your brother and therefore it's not conducive to loving god let's have a look at verse 2 as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby in hebrews chapter 5 the immaturity of the hebrew christians Jewish converts to Christianity, it was being addressed in that letter. At a time when they ought to have been on solid spiritual food, they were still on milk. Instead of being teachers of the word of God, they were still spiritual babies, still grappling with the ABCs of the Christian faith. This is in the letter to the Hebrews. Even after many years of professing faith in Jesus, they still knew next to nothing about Christian doctrine. When you read that epistle, it becomes very evident right from the beginning that they knew precious little about who Jesus is and what his achievements are. Consequently, they were inclined to return to the old covenant ways. Not understanding that the Levitical priesthood, the animal sacrifices, the temple worship, and so on. All of those Old Testament things, they have been fulfilled in and by Jesus. Who in, who in the very first verses of the letter to the Hebrews is declared to be the Son of God. 
nothing has changed. There are still many professing Christians who seem never to advance beyond the very basics of Christian doctrine. However, here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, drinking milk is not a reference to being a spiritual baby as it is in Hebrews. In fact, in this verse, Christians are being encouraged to desire the sincere milk of the word in order to grow in their faith. When you think of a newborn baby drinking with gusto on mum's milky bar or demolishing its bottle of milk, that is how all of us who are born again by the word of God are to be with the word, just like that little baby drinking its milk. It's a positive thing in 1 Peter, whereas it's not positive in Hebrews. A person who is born again by the word of God has no business abandoning it, abandoning the word on a bookshelf to gather dust and just opening a church Bible if he can be bothered to on Sundays. I say that because when I was a city missionary in London, to my amazement, one of my missionary friends admitted to me that he no, he no longer read his Bible. He didn't see the need to read his Bible anymore. Apparently, he knew it all. That's like saying that you no longer need food for your body, and it's ridiculous. So, what is your relationship with the pure and unadulterated word of God? Do you desire it? as a baby desires milk? Do you regularly feed and feast upon the word? The section that we're looking at today ends with a challenge for you to examine yourself. We're going now to verse 3. Look at verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In Psalm 34 verse 8 we read Psalm 34 at the beginning of this service. Verse 8, it is written, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. In that verse, Lord is written with capital letters. Okay? And that denotes Jehovah God. When you see Lord in the Old Testament, all capital letters, it means Jehovah or Yahweh. It's a reference to God. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 3, the apostle has no qualms about applying that Old Testament verse to Jesus and therefore acknowledging that Jesus is Jehovah, that he is God, even though Lord, as it appears in verse 3 and in the New Testament generally with the capital L and the, the, the lowercase O-R-D, as, it, as we see it in verse 3 there, it doesn't necessarily mean God. It can simply mean Lord or Sir. In the same way, the unelected males in the upper house of the UK Parliament, they are Lords, aren't they? But they're certainly not God. Unlike the rest of us, they are guilty of all the vices, the sins that are mentioned in verse 1. But clearly, the Apostle Peter, when he says, if so be that 
ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That is a reference to Psalm 34, where Lord is written as Jehovah God. Jesus, Jehovah Jesus. Another thing to appreciate about verse 3 is that tasting does not simply mean having a little sip. Rather it means that if you have tasted, then that is your experience. Verse 3 is addressing all who have a genuine faith in Jesus. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, that he is gracious, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, a born-again Christian, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ through the eye of faith. He hears the voice of Jesus and he follows him. And he tastes the Lord Jesus Christ. He tastes him and it is his testimony that Jesus is good, that he is gracious, that he is kind, so much so that that person can testify that he is crowned and surrounded by the tender mercies and the loving kindness of Jesus. That is what tasting Jesus is all about. John chapter 1 declares Jesus to be the word of God. Therefore, those who are born again by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever have tasted Jesus and they have seen that he is gracious and that he is good. That is their testimony and their hunger and their thirst for him and his righteousness is unrelenting. They can't get enough of Jesus. If you have tasted that the Lord Jesus Christ is gracious, if that is your testimony, if that is your experience, then surely you are someone who feeds your soul with the word of God by which you were born again and God is giving you the increase in your Christian faith. As you read the scriptures, as you meditate upon the word of God day and night, as you hide that word in your heart, Finally, looking again at verse 1 in chapter 2, it is written, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, most certainly there is not even a trace of any of those vices in the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I correct? Of course. But what about you, dear Christian? Earlier on, I I made it very clear that anyone who is not a believer is still unregenerate, not trusting in Jesus. Those vices define that person. But what about you who are born again by the word of God? It's all right. You don't need to give me an answer. Similarly, when you read what love is all about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through to 8, you can very easily substitute Jesus for love. We'll do that now. It's a, it's a lovely exercise. I first did this at a, attending a, a church service in India some years back now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you 
Do not have to keep your finger in 1 Peter, by the way. We're finished with that. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just as we can say in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 that it's only Jesus who is not guilty of all those vices in the verse. Now look at what love is all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we read it, when I say love, you can very easily put the name Jesus there instead. But what I want you to do is see if you can put your own name there. Okay, I'm going to read it now. Verse 4. Charity, which is love. Charity suffereth long. Well, you can say that about Jesus. Jesus is long-suffering. What about you? Are you long-suffering? And is kind. Charity or love or Jesus envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. Now, you'd have no problem at all putting Jesus' name there instead of charity or love, depending on what version of the Bible you have. My question to you now is, can you very easily put your own name there? Again, I'm not waiting for anyone to give me an answer, so relax. Even so, the great desire of born-again Christians must surely be to grow in holiness and to take on an ever-increasing Christ-likeness. And that happens as they prayerfully feed upon the word of God as babies feeding on milk. Therefore, dear Christian, pray that you would always desire the sincere milk of the word as newborn babies, that you may grow thereby. And in so doing... Be a little bit more like your saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the things that you think and say and do to the glory of God the Father. Amen.